Uh, we're back in the book of John, John chapter 1 today. The first five messages of the book, or of the series, were in the prologue, verses 1 through 18. And we're now moving, he was setting the table for uh, letting us know that we've got to come to a point of decision about Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of God, and we have to make a decision in believing on that or not. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life through his name. If we do not, then we do not have eternal life. John's whole point, the purpose of this gospel was to write and bring us to a point of decision. And uh, the first 18 verses were a picture of how Jesus came from eternity. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. And here's how he came. And now we transition today into, from the prologue into the introduction of Christ's ministry... Through, through John the Baptist. And as I was preparing this this week, um, I realized I have too much material, okay? So that's when a preacher says that before a message, everyone kind of inwardly groans, or maybe they outwardly groan, I don't know. Um, and uh, I had too much material, so I was asking the guys with the couples retreat this week, and Branson had a great time the last few days, the couples that were able to go. But I was telling them, I have too much material, what do I do? And they said, well, I think you should just cut it in half and preach one half, one service, the next half, the next service. And uh, I think in their minds, they're thinking, that means two short sermons. It's a win for everybody. And what they don't realize is that this doesn't mean this, sh this sermon's going to be any shorter. It just means it won't be as long as it could have been. So you are, we are blessed, okay, this morning, beyond measure um, and uh, I will be finishing, I think, the way that I'll do it, Lord willing, is I'll finish the second half next week. There was just a point here in John's answer to the Jews that I couldn't get past and just kept developing, kept in my, being in my heart. And I want to just kind of park here this morning. So let's stand together out of respect for God's word. We'll begin reading in verse 19 of John 1. John chapter 1, verse 19. It says, and this is the record of John... When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then art thou, Elias? That's the Old Testament. That's the Greek spelling of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. So they say, Are you Elijah? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? We'll explain what that means. And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. That's Isaiah in chapter 40. He's quoting a verse from there. And they, went, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. My focus today will really be verses 19 through 21. The, the, these Pharisees, I, the priests and Levites, I should say, come to John the Baptist and they ask him a significant question. They ask him, who are you? And it's interesting to me that in answering the question, he doesn't tell them who he is, really. He starts talking about Jesus. 
Because his whole goal, his whole point was to point people to Jesus Christ. That is the person on his mind. And today I want to just understand that our most important identifier is not who we are. It's who we are in Jesus Christ. My question to you this morning is, who are you? I'll hopefully answer that question at least the first half. And uh, finish it maybe next week as the Lord allows. Let's pray and ask God to bless us. Lord, we do need you. We are desperately in need of your Holy Spirit to illuminate the words of the scripture here today. These are your words. These came from you. They are inspired. They've been preserved for us. We don't question them, Lord, but we do hope that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to understand them. That you would help to illuminate them and that in illuminating them that you would help them to be applied to us, that we would in our own minds and hearts, even if what is said from this pulpit doesn't apply directly, that you would help, that the Holy Spirit would help each of us apply this message to ourselves, that we would say this makes a difference in my life today. Help us, Lord, meet with us, bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I remember when I was a kid, maybe you remember this, there was the Guess Who game. You remember that? Where you each, you had a, a board and they had these little, these little cards that flipped up and, and there were a bunch of different people on the cards and you would ask a yes or no question and if the, and if the yes or no question, whichever one, if it applied to yours, then you would put those down um, because you had one person at the top that you had picked. They're trying to, to by deductive reasoning, get to that one card that you have. So they're asking questions and you're putting cards down, they're putting cards down. And if you remember that game, the guess who game, you're asking questions like, okay, is your hair red? Do you have glasses? Are you male? I mean, all of these things. Do you have freckles? Do you, I mean, whatever it is, are you wearing a, a, a purple shirt? And, and, and you would go and, and, and put down the cards and eventually, hopefully, get to the right card and win the game because winning at all costs is kind of important to some of us. So the competitive ones in here, even guess, that's why I don't play Candyland with my children because it takes no skill to win Candyland, but I'm not bitter about that. So I just don't play it. Okay, so no, the guess who game. And, and so, you know, if you're trying to figure out who somebody is in the guess who game, you ask questions like, is your hair red? Is your hair brown? Are your eyes green? I mean, those kinds of questions that's what you ask, and, and, and yet I was thinking about that, that game and, and those questions, and it caused me to realize or consider that sometimes we define ourselves by our physical features, but they really only tell part of the story. I mean, in the Guess Who game, you may be able to answer some questions about the appearance of somebody, um, but if you, were, you can't really apply that in real life because human beings are so much more than bodies. We are souls in that we, we have a part of us that is alive, that will live forever. We are also, we have a spirit, which means that's the part of us that relates to God. We are more than bodies. You are more than the color of your hair. You are more than the color of your skin. You are more than your background. You are more than your height, thankfully, some of us. You are more than your appearance, thankfully, some of us. There's more than, than, than uh, meets the eye to all of us. And the truth is, um, we are, you know, who we are tells more of our story than what we look like. There's more to us uh, than just our skin. I was thinking about my most important identifiers, and, 
And yes, someone say, may, may say about Pastor Jet, oh yeah, you know, he's, he's kind of short, you know. That's why I stand on my tiptoes anytime I take a picture, okay. He's, he may be on the short side. And, you know, that's fine if that's how somebody identifies me. But I will say this, that my role as a husband is much more important than my height. That's much more important to me. That my most important earthly relationship is, is my wife, Aaron Jett. I, when God brought us together and, and he, he, we became one flesh spiritually speaking, this relationship goes much further than something physical. This is the most important earthly relationship that I have is my relationship to my wife. Uh, I'm also more than just what I look like. I am a father. And that identifier is much more important to me than anything I look like. I'm raising a godly seed. I've got two of them in here in this room with me today. And my children are the most important heritage that I can leave on earth. I want to do everything I can to raise them to love and serve God with all their hearts. I'm also pastor. That's my calling. I, I, my calling is to prepare the people of Eastside Baptist Church for the judgment seat of Christ. If, I, if I'm just explaining my mission, that's my calling. And in terms of God's kingdom, my most important earthly identity is pastor. Nothing is bigger than that outside of the investment in my own family relationship. For God's kingdom, my most important calling is pastor. And we all have important identities. In a day that everyone is deciding for themselves what their identity is, and it's so mixed up. These days, no, we ought to be less concerned about defining ourselves and fulfilling the biblical roles that God created us to fulfill. Amen. You know, as there are many in this room, you are a spouse. That is your most important earthly relationship. Uh, you are many in here parents of children, and that carries responsibility. We, I look around the room, we have many employees in this room. We have employers in this room. That defines much of what you do on a daily basis. That's important. We are citizens, and that matters. Uh, maybe in this room, uh, many are church members. You are contributing to uh, the impact that Eastside Baptist Church is having in our community and around the world. Uh, look around the room. We have, we have grandparents down to grandchildren. We are friends. We are neighbors. All of those roles matter. They all identify us on some level. But of all the things that define us, that identify us, there is no more important identity than who we are in Jesus Christ. John's gospel, again, was written to people that, that they would get the evidence, they would see the evidence and hear the teaching and make a decision about Jesus Christ. It says in John 20, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That's the point of John's gospel. This, this John the Apostle, John the Beloved, wrote this so that we would come to a point of decision about Jesus. So that we would see the evidence and make a choice. And listen, friend, today, if, if Jesus is who he said he is, you have a decision to make. Here's why. Because your relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the real you. That is the identity that matters the most. And you may be an employee, but that doesn't matter nearly as much 
as your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you may be a dad, but even your relationship with Christ is more important than that. You may be a church member, but your relationship with Christ matters more. You may be a wife or a, 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 a citizen or a mom or a neighbor or a grandfather or a sibling, whatever it is, all those roles matter, but none of them matter as much as your relationship with Jesus Christ. John's answer to these religious leaders that come to him is a great reminder that our relationship with Jesus should be the defining identifier of our lives. John the Baptist's purpose was to point people to Jesus. I love his mission. You know, a few weeks ago we preached this message how John the Baptist, his idea, his mission was this, look at the light. Look at Jesus. Every, everywhere he went, look at Jesus, people that came to him. No, look to Jesus. And we see him doing it right here in verse 19. He says, and this is the record of John. That word record is the same as the word witness back up in verse 7. It simply means a testimony. And when they come, the, these folks come to John the Baptist, then he gives them his testimony about Jesus Christ. Verse 19 again, it says, this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites. So the Jews uh, sent a group of people to question John. Now, when John the Apostle, and I understand there are two Johns we're talking about. There's John the Apostle, John the Beloved. He's the one that wrote the gospel. Then there's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the character that we're talking about today, the one that's pointing people to Jesus Christ. And by the way, in the book of John, if you're wondering which John he's talking about, John the, the Beloved, John the the gospel writer never refers to himself as John. Uh, he usually says the disciple whom Jesus loved. So if you see John in, in the book of John, we're talking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is, is writing, uh, is, is baptizing, he's out uh, preaching repentance, and this group of people come to him. Verse 19, it says, when they, they sent the Jews to him. Now, you say, well, does the Jews, does that mean all the Jews? Well, when John, uh, the gospel writer, would mention Jews, he was describing religious leaders. The Jews sent the priests and the Levites. These were employees of the temple. They were religious leaders of the day. The Jews refers to the religious leaders. When he was talking about everybody, he would say the multitude. So just so we understand, when he says the Jews, he's referring to those from Jerusalem that refer to the religious leaders. And he say, well, that sounds nice. The religious leaders are coming out to support John the Baptist. But that's not typically what they were doing. The, Jew, the religious leaders, this crowd, they hated John and they hated Jesus. Uh, they violently opposed Christ's teachings. They opposed Christ's miracles. They were narrow. They were legalistic. They were eventually the ones responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. The religious leaders, they did not like that Jesus came along, affecting their stronghold on the Jewish faith. They had a long list of rules that they had come up with and that people had to follow. And they did not appreciate that someone would come along and, and, and threaten their hold on the people. So, but before Jesus came along, they sent priests and Levites to confront John the Baptist. These guys, these from the temple, these religious leaders, they come along, they come to John, and he's out in the wilderness, he's baptizing, he's preaching, and this group of people come up to him, and they say, who are you? Who are you? And John could have said, you know who I am? I'm the first cousin of Jesus, the Messiah, and you're going to meet him. 
John could have said, you know, my father was a priest. His name is Zacharias. Maybe you've heard of him. You know, John could have started impressing them with his descriptions of himself. Uh, he could have said, my mother's Elizabeth. And, and maybe, uh, you know, 30-something years ago, you might have read in Pharisee Weekly how she was a really old lady that had a baby. Yeah, that was my mom. I'm the miracle baby. He could have said, you know what? I am the man that God specifically told to baptize, and he called me out here. I'm doing God's work. Don't you dare come to me and start asking me who I am. You don't want to know who I am. I'm John the Baptist. I'm the messenger of God, and don't mess with me. But he didn't do any of that. No, his concern was pointing people to Jesus. So when they ask him who he is, look at his answer in verse 20. And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. You say, that's not, that's not what they asked. No, they said, who are you? He said, I'm not the Christ. Because his priority is not John, his priority is Jesus. So they come and they say, who art thou? And the author they're doing, they're not asking, hey bud, listen, we don't like what you're doing here. You better give us your name, we're going to report you. No, what they're asking really is on their mind, based on John's answer, on their mind, they're coming to find out if John's the one. Because if you know anything about uh, this time, they're looking for the Messiah. They're, trying to, they're, they're waiting for the Messiah to be revealed. They're waiting for the Son of God to come. And in their minds, the, the Messiah is going to come. And he's going to uh, raise a, a new generation, usher in righteousness, usher in peace, and also at the same time deliver them from their enemies. And their enemies at this point are the Roman government. The Roman government is in control of their lives and they want somebody to come and wipe out the Romans and raise them up and fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies. So when they hear about this strange guy out in the wilderness, everyone's talking about him. He's wearing camel skins. He's preaching repentance. He's eating locusts. He's drinking wild honey. And he's baptizing people. He's saying that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people are flocking to go hear him. They start to wonder, is this the one? Is this the guy? And John's answer in verse 20 indicates he knew what they were asking. Because he says, I'm not the Christ. William Barclay says there's special emphasis in the Greek language here. And I'm not a Greek expert, so I rely on other men who are to help me. But he says the word I is stressed by its position. It's as if John is saying, I am not the Messiah, but if you only knew, the Messiah is already here. It's not me. I am not the Messiah. John makes it clear he's not the one, but the one is, the, is here my job, John says, essentially, my job is to get you ready for the Messiah. And he's already here. Notice how he carefully answers the questions. And this is the point that I, I couldn't really get past today. So John's identity was not in who he wasn't. John's identity was not in who he wasn't. Because they come and they ask him, uh, they say, he, uh, who art thou? And he confessed and he denied. He says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. 
As we already talked about, Israel's desperately looking for a deliverer to come along and, and free them from Rome. But John didn't make it about himself. You know, he, his answer made it absolutely clear. He said, I'm not the Christ. It's not about me. Don't presume that I am something that I am not. So they say, okay, verse 21, they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? I mean, think about this. The last prophet that, that, that had come to Israel was Malachi. It's the last book of the, of the Old Testament, and, that, and this was 400 years ago. So for 400 years, so this, this prophet Malachi, um, then he came and he, he prophesied, he left them God's words, and, and then for 400 years there's silence. And then suddenly, now here comes John the Baptist. So for 400 years, there's silence. But in the ringing in the ears of the priests and the Levites is Malachi 4, 5. Malachi said this, Behold, the words of God, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's Malachi 4, 5. So in their minds, they're looking for the next Elijah. Because that's the last prophet that spoke to them. The last prophet. And so they're looking for Elijah. So they're wondering, is this Elijah? The prophecy said Elijah will come. He'll show up. He'll prepare us for judgment. And they thought literally Elijah might be this guy right here. And we didn't imagine he'd be wearing camel skin suits. But this, this might be Elijah. And, and they're not far off because even Jesus Christ compared John the Baptist's spirit and the power to Elijah's. But John clearly was not the literal Elijah. He's not. And, you know, but I, I just want to say, I might have latched on to that one. They say, are you Elijah? Now, in their minds, I mean, they know the stories. Remember when Elijah called fire down from heaven? I might start playing with that one a little bit. Are you Elijah? He said, maybe. Maybe not. Watch out. Yeah. And just watch him, like, fall to the ground. Sorry, that's my imagination. I, I won't go there for I might would have played with that one a little bit, though. Are you Elijah? I don't know. Am I? They ask, okay, so you're not Elijah. No, John's the bad, he's not messing around. He says, no, I'm not Elijah. They say, okay, where are, art thou that prophet? Verse 21, they say, and he answered, I'm not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Say, well, what does that mean? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, it's capitalized, a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And some people believe that's talking about Jesus Christ. Others believe it's simply talking about prophets. It says in that prophecy in Deuteronomy 18 that God will raise up a prophet. He'll rise from Israel. He'll rise from among the people. He'll be just like you. And you need to listen to him because he's preaching my words. And if you don't listen, there will be severe penalties if you reject him. And that certainly could refer to Jesus Christ, but it seems like it's more likely that God is just preparing Israel to say, listen, when you need it, I'm going to send a prophet to you, and every once in a while, a prophet's going to come along, he'll be speaking my words, and he'll be warning you of judgment. When he comes along, you need to listen to his message, because his words are going to be very important for you. If you ignore his words, you're going to severely be punished. But if you believe his words, then you will be blessed, and I will bless you for your obedience. Unfortunately, they usually ignored the prophets. They did whatever they wanted to, and, and uh, they didn't really pay attention. But look at John the Baptist's answer. He says in verse 21, it, it, there's a lot of, it's, it's, you know, I know it's King James English, okay? 
So it's maybe hard to understand. He says, art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Okay, we'll do a word study next week to try to figure out what he meant by that. No, very clearly, he says, no. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Christ. I'm not that prophet. I'm not the one Moses was talking about. That's not me. My role is not the prophet, the prophet role like you're thinking. No, my role is to come before Jesus and prepare you to receive the Messiah. That's my job. He says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not one of the prophets. And you know what? What I see here is that John is okay with being a not. John is okay with not being important. And we've got to be careful of defining ourselves by who we're not. See, John was not concerned about who he wasn't. And sometimes we let comparisons define us. You know, here's John. They come and they say, are you the Christ? And he says, I'm not the Christ. They say, well, are you Elijah? And he says, maybe. No, he says, I'm not Elijah. Well, are, are you that prophet? I'm not that prophet. See, when, when it came to John doing what God had called him to do, he was okay that he wasn't somebody else. But here's what we do when, when we're thinking about who we're not. Well, are, are you the guy that sits behind you in the pew that's been saved longer than you? He's like, well, I'm not that guy. He's like, well, can you sing in the choir like those people can sing? Or like Diana sang? Well, no, I'm not her. Are you, are you able to teach? Or I mean, what, can you, what do you bring to the table? He's like, well, I'm not really, I'm not that person. I'm not that person. See, there's a big difference in John's attitude toward being an R not and our attitude toward being an R not. See, John was more than willing to embrace the fact that he was an R not because he was secure in who he was in Jesus Christ. But very often we are, uh, we are comparing ourselves with the people around us and we let the fact that we're not something be a defeating thing for us. You know, we, we say the same kinds of things with a defeated spirit. Well, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Look around the church and, and I see a bunch of holy people. That's just not me. I don't know the Bible stories. And I don't have the experience. You know, I don't know the lingo. I, I just, there's a lot about, I'm just not that. You know, and we often define ourselves by who we're not. But I want you to get this morning, and this is the point I couldn't get past as I was studying. Understand, God's ability to use you is not limited by what you are not. In fact, he delights in using the are nots because it gives him a chance to do something that only he can do and that only he can get credit for. So stop identifying yourself by who you are not. I'm just, I'm not good enough. There's no way God can save me. Well, listen, none of us, none of us are good enough. Which, is, which means that God can save everyone. It doesn't matter, you know, if, if you think I'm not good enough. There's no sinner beyond the reach of a loving, of God's arms. 
He can save anybody. It doesn't matter what you've done. And this morning, if you've come here today and you don't know that you're saved, and you think, well, I'm an R, I'm an R not. I, I, I'm not good enough. That's exactly who God is calling to come and be saved. The ones that recognize I can't do it. You say, well, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not gifted. God just can't use me. No, very few people in this room are supremely gifted by the world's standards. And we have some gifts, and I'm thankful for it. But listen, we must all learn to embrace who we are not, because when we do, it allows God to make us something we could never be on our own. Well, I'm just, I'm not a great father. I'm not a great father. I mean, in my own strength, I try my best. When I do it in my own strength, I fail miserably. None of us would be good dads. None of us would be good moms. None of us would be good husbands or wives without the help of God. But instead of letting what you are not define you, then trust in God's grace to help you to get there. He can help you. You may not be what you're supposed to be. Well, of course you're not. But we have a book that if you'll follow it, it will take care of the I-nots in your life. Say, well, I'm just not confident. I don't have the confidence. We got guys that get up and preach and they get up and teach and they do all these things. I just don't have confidence. Listen, that's probably a good thing. The more confident you are in your ability, the less you'll trust in God's help to, to help you do what you're supposed to do. And then you'll more than likely end up pointing people to yourself instead of Jesus Christ. Stop defining yourself if you don't fit a mold or you don't have this ability or you weren't raised this way. No, it's the I'm nots that God tends to use the most. John had an important job to do that only he could do. His life and calling mattered. And he may not have been Elijah. And he may not have been the prophet. But he was John the Baptist. And he embraced his responsibility for God. And God used him. And before you think, well, but look at all that he wasn't. Consider what Jesus said that he was. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And what he was saying is, John, you know, John wasn't much on earth, but in God's eyes, there's been no one born among men that is greater than John the Baptist. But, 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 let me tell you this, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven can be greater than John the Baptist. And what that does, it tells us that God has already taken a man that nobody was very impressed with, John the Baptist, and God's eye, in God's eyes, he was greater than anybody else that's ever been born. But he that is least in the kingdom of heaven, which is you and I, if we will humble ourselves before God and say, I know what I'm not, and in, rather than let that defeat me, I will embrace that so that I lean on Christ's strength and help to do what I could never do in myself. The Bible says, through Jesus Christ said, that you can be greater as a least person in the kingdom of heaven than John the Baptist. Rather than letting what you are not limit how God's, God uses you, allow it to propel you to allow God to use you. Amen. John embraced who he was not. God turned him into a, someone who made a huge difference. And there's no reason he can't do the same thing with us. Stop defining yourself by what you are not. Let it drive you to depend on God to make up for what you are not. What's the are not in your life? That you are allowing to define you. Well, I'm not perfect. Join the club. For all the sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, 
No, not one. We are all sinners. Every person in this room, doesn't matter if they're wearing a suit, if they look the part, none of us are perfect. We are all sinners. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. We are all sinners. And if you define yourself, though, by what you are not, and you say, I'm not perfect, and I'm just going to let that defeat me. No, if you allow that to defeat you, you will die and spend eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell. So, but if you willingly acknowledge what you are not and you admit your sin before God, you confess your sin before God, you repent of those sins before God, he has a plan to take care of your are not. How? Well, he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And you may not be perfect, but Jesus is. And God required a sinless sacrifice to die on that cross. And you could not do it in your strength. You couldn't die for your own sins. But Jesus died as a perfect substitute for us. He died for the sins of the whole world. He took our sins on himself so that we could place our faith in him. We could be forgiven. We could receive salvation. Listen, your are not of imperfection puts you at risk in eternity. But Jesus took your are not and he gives you the option of internal peace. Don't you want peace? I mean, the inner turmoil of life, man, it's just hard to bear sometimes. Don't you wish you had peace? Don't you wish that you knew what was going to happen to you after you die and that you, you weren't wondering about that? Well, the work has already been done on the, on the cross by Jesus Christ. And the fact that you are an are not should drive you to Jesus and say, I can't do this, but he's already done the work. To the Christian today who isn't perfect, join the club. Yeah. You might say, well, if only you knew the mistakes I've made. Well, Jesus knows the mistakes you've made and he still loves you. None of us are perfect. We've all failed miserably. We've all made mistakes. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. No, Jesus is perfect enough for the worst of us. Confess your sins. Let go of those mistakes and grab hold of who you are in Jesus Christ because that matters the most. You say, well, I'm not talented. I don't really have a lot to offer. Well, read Matthew 25. And to some he gives five talents, to some he gives two, to some he gives one. And if you'll notice in that parable, it's not about, it's, they don't answer for what they were given. They answer for how they, what they did with what they were given. And God won't make you answer. You may not have the talents that somebody else has, but God is not going to ask you to or make you answer for what you have. He's going to make you answer for what you do with what you have. And if you may be a one-talent person, that's okay. God knew that. He had that, he had that in plan for you. So do the very best you can with the talent that you have. And God, you can stand before him someday and, and he'll say, "Be well done, thou good and faithful servant. And for the people that have five talents, if they don't use their talents, they'll stand before God and answer for those. So don't be so concerned about what you don't have. Be concerned with what you do have and do the very best you can with it. That's what you will answer for. You say, well, I'm just not spiritual. Well, most of us aren't as spiritual as we need to be. And the ones that say they are, they're not because they said they are. But a vibrant walk with God is possible. 
And you don't have to be a preacher to do it. And you don't have to be raised in church to do it. You don't have to have a lifelong Christian bloodline all the way back to your great-grandparents to do it. No, anybody can walk with God. It simply takes desire and effort and dependence on God for help. But it's possible for everybody from the youngest person in this room to the oldest in this room. And if you will have these habits, you can walk with God. If you will continually confess your sins, you can walk with God. It's the ones that sin and don't make it right and they let that account with God build up, build up, build up, build up, build up till it's so full and overflowing that they can't possibly speak to God because there's sin in their life they've not confessed. If you will make a habit of continual confession of sin, you can walk with God. Next, if you have consistent intake of God's word, you can walk with God. And I'm not saying we have to get up and read your Bible from this time to this time every day or this time to this time. I don't know what it is that you do. Just do something to consistently have God's word being fed into your life. And if you want to walk with God, that's a key element to walking with God. You say, I want to walk with God. What do I do? Well, continual confession, consistent intake of God's word, communication in prayer. You speak to God and have communion, have communication. Don't just go, I mean, if, you and you, if you're married and you go days on end without talking to your spouse, you and your spouse may assume there's something wrong in that relationship. Well, you go days on end without talking to the Lord, there's something wrong with that relationship. And you need communication and prayer. So you need continual confession of sin. You need consistent intake of God's word. You need communication and prayer. And you need commitment to a church family. You want to walk with God? God's plan to have you walk with him and be all that you are supposed to be in Jesus Christ. He doesn't put us on an island and tell us that we need to do it by ourselves. No, he puts us in a community of believers and says, grow together, be accountable to each other, encourage, exhort one another, help each other along because the spiritual life is not easy. And you may not be spiritual today, but God has given you every resource that you need to walk with him if you will choose to walk with him. It's not reserved for the lifelong Christians. You can walk with God. You can have a spiritual life here because God wants a relationship with you. So who are you? I didn't ask what do you look like. Who are you? I, I didn't ask how tall you are. Who are you? I didn't ask how well you can sing. Who are you? Not how were you raised. Who are you? Not how, how are you compared to everybody else? Who are you? Not how bad your mistakes have been. No, I'm asking who are you in Jesus Christ? Because of all the things we do, nothing matters. As much as our relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you placed your faith in him for salvation? And I don't mean um, have you done a work to be saved because there's no work we can do to be saved for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast if you're, if you're trusting in a baptism or you're trusting in communion if you're trusting in your good works then you're trusting in works and God says it's either faith or works you can't do both it's only the work the finished work of Jesus Christ it's already done have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, if you want the peace of knowing you spend eternity in heaven with God, you can place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning. Christian, do you have a relationship with Jesus? When you get to heaven, you're not going to answer for how 
how well you did compared to everybody else. You're going to answer for what you did with the resources at your disposal. You have a relationship? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Is he your most important relationship? Is he your priority in life? John the Baptist, when it came to who defined him, John the Baptist says, my life is defined by Jesus. If the people closest to you were to define your life, would Jesus Christ be included at all in their description? Do you depend on him for daily help? Or do you only go to him in case of emergency? In eternity, your identity will be all about who you are in Christ. And here's a good statement. God doesn't view us based on what we are not. He views us based on who we are in Christ. So how's your relationship with Jesus Christ? It's not about who you're not. It's about who you are in him. So I'm asking today, who are you? You know, the great thing is, if our relationship with Jesus Christ is right, then all the roles we talked about at the beginning will be right. The best fathers and mothers are the ones who are right with Jesus. The best husbands and wives are the ones who prioritize their walk with their Savior. The best employees and the best students are the ones who make their life about Jesus Christ. The best witnesses are the ones who put Jesus first. Your best life, and this is not Joel Osteen, okay, this is the Bible. Your best life is when you recognize who you are not and let Jesus Christ make you what you ought to be. We're all our nots. But Jesus is the great I am. What that means is every area in your life in which you lack... Jesus can make up for it. He's always enough to make up for the areas in which we lack. In Stillwater, our old youth group, when we were a youth pastor there, and there's a young lady. She's raised in the church there, Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater. Actually, Brother Sam Davison's granddaughter. And when she was three years old, um, she got bit by a tick. And they didn't, they didn't, the doctors didn't diagnose it correctly. And so she got uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever from that tick. And, and her name is Abby. And it, and it really messed up her, her, just her whole body. It, it, it made her basically paralyzed where her body fights against itself. Her muscles are fighting against itself, against themselves. And it took away her ability to speak. You know, she's about 30 years old now, and her, most of her life, she, she, she fights against her own body just to walk. She hasn't spoken words in 27 years. She communicates with a chat box. And I remember she was in our youth group. She's one of our, our, the young people in our youth group. And, and I remember, you know, going through those teenage years with her. We would take her to camp and these trips, and, and there's just so much extra that you have to do to help her with things. And my wife, I remember my wife having a conversation with her, and I know her parents did too. And, you know, Abby, you really need to figure out how God's going to use this. Because most of us would say, well, that's an R naught right there. And there's a lot about that, that there's nothing that can be done. It's just an R naught. You're just going to accept it and just go on. But Abby 
somewhere along the way, having conversations with people that loved her, decided, I'm not going to be an Arnott. I'm not going to allow the Arnots in my life to define who I am. Rather, I'm going to let the Arnots into my life propel me to be dependent on the great I am. And so Abby decided that she would, start, she would learn to draw. So she started learning to draw. She, I mean, just very, every move is just meticulous. She has to fight. Her muscles basically are just atrophied. She has to fight against her own muscles to do everything. But she learned to draw. And she draws these, now these beautiful little cards. These just thank you cards or just personal cards. She draws them. And, and they're really nice pictures. She puts them on cards. And, and people buy them all over the world. She started blogging, detailing her experiences, encouraging other people. She doesn't have a voice, but with the internet, now she has a voice. And she's making a difference in people's lives um, through her art, through her words. And when she was three, four, five years old, people would have looked at her and said, there's an Arnott that God can't do anything with. But when she refused to define herself by the Arnott's, and look to the great I am, she recognized that God actually wanted to use what people would consider to be her weakness as her greatest strength. And she's making a difference in people's lives because of it. And when I look at somebody like her, and I think about her R-naughts, and then I look sometimes at my life and think, well, all the R-naughts I have, it makes me feel about this small because my R-naughts are nothing like hers. And she's done more through her Arnots than probably most of us will ever do because she had to overcome them and we use them as excuses. I'm just saying today, you have at your disposal the great I am. And any of your weaknesses and any of your Arnots and any of the things that you're using as excuses not to be used and not to make a difference are simply going to limit what God could do in your life if you would say, I know I'm an r not, but you're the I am, and I want to lean on you to do something bigger with my life than I could have ever dreamed of doing. So God, whatever my r nots are, let me use them to propel me to your feet and trust that you can take what I'm not good at and overcome it and allow me to do something Bigger than I could ever do on my own. You're not, you're an are not. That's not real encouraging, but it's true. But so am I. If I focus on what I'm not, it will defeat me. But if I focus on the great I am, I can embrace whatever comes my way because I know he's always enough. Even for an are not like you and me, he's enough for your salvation. You can't, but he did. He's enough to forgive you of your sins. You can't make it right, but he went to a cross. He's enough to help you with your biggest and most impossible problems. You can't, but he's the great I am. Friend, let your are guide you to the great I am. Would you do that this morning?